the Sunday Morning Linux Review with Mary Tomich, Tom Lawrence, and Tony Bemis as the Beaver. And this is episode 289. Fresh Looks Manjaro 17.1.12. All right, this is Tony Bemis. Jay LaCroix. Mary Tomich. And Tom Lawrence. And uh, in this episode today, uh, Jay is going to do a, uh, a distro review or a fresh look at Manjaro. Uh, uh, so I think we're ready to go. This stems from the last week or that I was here, where at one point during one of the recordings, we were looking at DistroWatch, and I commented about how Manjaro was number one, and I thought that was interesting. And I don't remember if that was um, off-air or on-air, but I thought that was really interesting that Manjaro was number one. I, I used it as my main uh, distribution for a while, like three or four years ago. And at that time, it, it was... I mean, people were talking about it. It was popular, but it wasn't nowhere near number one on, on DistroWatch. It was um, closer to probably the middle or something like that. I don't remember. But when I saw that, I thought, oh, that's interesting. I wonder how they've changed over the years because I have since moved on um, from Manjaro. I, before Manjaro, I used Arch. And then I went to Manjaro. And then I ended up going back to Arch, and I don't even remember why. Um, today I'm more into Ubuntu and things like that. But I wanted to go back and actually take a look at this distribution again to see how it's changed over the years since I've used it um, way back when and just give it another look. So um, the first thing right off the top is that reviewing a distribution like this is kind of interesting because it's a rolling release. So um, for those of you that aren't aware of what this is, so if you download Ubuntu, for example, they have a new release every six months, so you just upgrade to the new release, or you just use LTS and just upgrade every two years. Other distributions might be six months, nine months, two years, 18 months, something like that. They're all somewhat different, but most distributions have a release schedule. There's a version number you know when it's coming out. There's betas, there's a release candidate, and then it's released. But with a rolling release, there's no new version. You basically, you install it one time, and then you just keep your updates coming. And as long as you keep up to date on the updates, you're always running the latest stuff. There's no reason to um, reinstall. And one thing you'll find sometimes in these forums, you'll find users that are bragging that they've had the same install of Linux for 10 years. Like in the Arch Linux forums, for example, you'll hear people make this claim that they might have taken the hard drive out of one computer when they buy a new one and put it in that one, but it's still the same install. And they still keep it going and because they, they keep it current. So that's a lot harder to achieve with a distribution that has a release cadence like Debian and Ubuntu and others. Actually, I, Debian doesn't have much of a cadence, do they? But so I should say <laughs> Ubuntu and um, a number of others. So reviewing it is kind of interesting because by the time you're listening to this, some of the things I'm about to mention might have already changed because um, if you install your updates, then it's already going to be different. So they do have release numbers. Um, I mentioned in the show title, 17.1.12. Um, I, I don't remember off the top of my head how the version numbers go um, or what that represents. I never really paid attention to it, even when I used that as my main distribution. I just installed it, and I just kept updating it, and I never looked at that. So, But that's when I look at the website as of today, the, the date we're recording this. It's basically 17.1.12, and that's what I installed. But I had quite a few updates when I had to install it. So the first thing I'll mention is that I went with the XFCE edition first because that is, or at least was considered the default, the one that um, they recommend 
When I went to the website, they had KD Gnome as well, which I could have sworn they were community distributions or spins back when I used to use this and that the XFC edition was the main one. Um, so that's the one I, I reviewed first, even though there's multiple options there. And they also have a net edition, which gives you a command line install. So if you don't want their customized desktop environment, you just want to build it yourself, you can basically install their uh, net edition. And some people will ask, well, if you're going to do that, and this is based on Arch, by the way, I didn't actually mention that, but some people will say, if you're going to use the net edition, why don't you just install Arch? Because if you're going to build your system from scratch, why not just go to Arch anyway? And the answer to this, back when I used this years ago, and it's probably still the same case now, is that the net edition is much easier to install than Arch. So even though you still have to install your desktop environment and all the packages, getting the distro installed is a lot easier on the net edition than it would be for like Arch Linux um, by default. So the first thing I did was install XFCE. The install took about five minutes. The installation was, it looked a lot like Ubuntu. It wasn't exactly the same, but Basically, it's like five screens or so, somewhere around there, where you just click next through each one. It gives you a, a screen where you partition your disk, a screen where you set your user account, um, things like that. So basically, your basic stuff you'd expect in any other installer. Really easy to install. I had no problems at all. So again, about five minutes. And um, when I booted into it, there's no splash screen. So it wasn't like a like Ubuntu. I shows the Ubuntu logo. It just there's just text. You know, it basically, actually, there was a bunch of errors. There's ACPI errors on the screen. And I actually looked into that, and I guess they're harmless. It's just something in the kernel is just being more chatty about something that apparently isn't an issue. But at first, I thought it was something I had to fix. But thankfully, I didn't have to fix anything. Nothing was broken. Everything worked out of the box, so I had no problems. Yeah, ACPI is related to, like, power-saving mode and stuff, right? And, um, and uh, what, sleep mode and things like that? Yeah, and, and one thing I should have mentioned closer to the beginning is I'm actually testing this on a um, System76 lemur. This machine is actually several generations old. It's my guinea pig laptop where I try different distributions on it, but it's no slouch either. It's got 16 gigs of RAM. It's got a 512 gigabyte NVMe drive and a Core i7, so it's no slouch. It's definitely a decent machine. Right. So, I mean, this machine supports Linux out of the box, so I'm not installing this on a Dell that's known not to work or anything like that. So seeing error messages when I boot a distro is kind of rare for me. It still happens, but it's not yeah. as common as it would be on a unsupported piece of hardware, so it's it pretty interesting to see those errors. But I didn't actually find um, conclusively what those errors mean and whether I truly should be concerned or not, but I had no issues, so I, I guess probably not. The first time I did the install, I did that on an encrypted disk, because that's basically what I do on laptops, is I encrypt the hard drive um, because it's a mobile device, and if it gets stolen, you know, good luck getting in access to anything. Mm -hmm. um, and when it booted, I thought it aired out. I thought the installation failed because there, there was just some text in the middle of the screen, um, black screen with white text. And that looks like a BIOS error, you know, if you've ever seen those failed to boot error messages. And it looked oh, yeah. exactly like that. And the font was really small. When I looked at it, it's actually asking for the password for the disk, which is good. But other distributions like Pop! OS, Ubuntu, Mint, and others will actually have a splash screen and present the password in more of a professional way. Here it's just, a, you know, random text. So, or not random text, but just plain text. It was an option during the install to encrypt the disk? Yeah. And then, so this is an Arch or a, or Manjaro uh, screen that popped up saying Yeah, during the install, it gives you the option if you okay. want to encrypt the disk. So the first time I, I chose to do that, the second time not. Um, 
you know, I didn't need to, you know, test encryption twice. So I, I, I'll get into why I reinstalled it later. So that was something to, to mention is I'm, I'm more used to like the, the Ubuntu way of doing it. And I thought that Manjaro had a splash screen and maybe it does. And for some reason on this hardware, it's not supported and I didn't mm. get to see it. So that also, um, could be the case. So the XFCE edition, I didn't spend as much time there. That was my main um, desktop environment four or five years ago when I used Manjaro. That was my favorite. Back then, I hated GNOME. I, I thought GNOME 3 was terrible. I couldn't stand using it. And um, since then, GNOME has matured and has become my favorite desktop. I think over mm -hmm. the years, the improvements that they've made have been great. And um, I think they fixed every single issue that I've had with GNOME. So today, GNOME is my desktop environment of choice. But back then, it was XFCE because by default, I didn't want to go with GNOME. And it was a default environment for Manjaro anyway. But one thing I noticed on the panel on the bottom is basically a single panel layout. So XFCE basically by default has two panels, but and Manjaro has one. And there is the panel where it shows the running applications, there's like uh, artifacts over the text. So there's like missing pixels and the text isn't really always legible. It's just really weird. I didn't get a chance to look into why that was. So I, I ran some updates thinking maybe that'll fix it. There was quite a few updates. I had 800 megabytes of updates mm. straight off the top. And I um, installed them, rebooted, same problem. Uh, that didn't get cleared up. Um, the desktop icons are really tiny. I thought it was weird. The text is large. The icons are small. And it kind of almost looks like your file menu icons, how they're, you know, the icons yeah. in a file menu are small. Uh, it, they're really tiny, and I thought that was kind of strange, but that's not a big deal because you can easily fix that. But I didn't really have any issues with it either. Uh, I didn't really spend too much time there because it's XFCE. XFCE does not change much. They barely ever release new versions. So um, if you have seen XFCE on any other distribution, you've seen it here. They, they apply a custom theme to it. The presentation is good. The theme is good. Icon theme is, is good. My favorite color is green, so I'm a little biased. Um, so I, I do like it. So I wanted to then try GNOME because that's my main desktop of choice. I wanted to see how I would um, get along with that. So... I then wiped it, reinstalled it, and installed GNOME. And right off, right away, I noticed that the experience in GNOME is very different. Um, I've I've disabled the extensions since, but it has like six extensions enabled by default. Hey, yeah. I got a quick question. So just to make sure I understand, because I happen to be glancing at my uh, app mm -hmm. menu mm -hmm. um, when you said this, you um, you were you started off with one desktop, but you wanted to check XFCE. out FCE. Yeah, and you yeah. wanted to try GNOME. Mm -hmm. um, d you didn't you didn't just um, uh, spin up a new version of it, you, um, of the whole OS, you just basically. Yeah. Well, what I did actually is I, I re-downloaded the ISO, okay. the GNOME ISO, and I reflashed my flash drive and okay. I literally wiped it again. Okay. I, didn't want I any, just was kind of curious. Yeah. I didn't want any residual, sure um, gotcha. things left over from one install, like, um, spoiling the other. I wanted mm -hmm. to make sure I'm giving it a fair look and, and not, because, you know, yeah. the thing about Linux that, has driven me crazy over the years, and this is somewhat better. It's still an issue today. Is that if you mix desktop environments on the same um, computer, such that you can switch between the desktop environments when you boot the computer, they are not self-contained. Some configurations from one will perpetuate into another, and it's just the way it is. It, it, it's just not something that desktop environments test. It's still a problem today, even though it's not as much of a problem. Um, mm -hmm. I've literally seen issues where you have multiple GTK desktops, you change the theme in one, and it gets changed in the other, even though you didn't actually go to that desktop mm. settings to change the theme. Mm -hmm. So I wanted it to be completely clean. So it has six extensions enabled by default. So it doesn't really look like GNOME because 
I mean, you get a panel by default, which now Ubuntu does, but most GNOME distributions don't do that. The panel's on the left side, it's dash to dock, a popular extension for GNOME to give you a panel. That's included by default. There's an, an application menu that they give you by default, which you click on the top left of the screen and you actually get a proper application menu as if you're using an older desktop. So, and there's other extensions as well. I won't really get into all of them. But um, I thought that was interesting because I'm more of a fan of vanilla GNOME. I would have liked it if there was an option. I could have checked a box that says, give me a vanilla experience if I don't want the added stuff. Mm-hmm. But there, well, I didn't see that. Um, but, of course, I could just install the Net Edition and manually install the GNOME packages and probably get the sa- get a vanilla experience, but that would be a lot more work. Yeah. Um, I'm not a fan of extensions. Um, this is kind of interesting. When I first started using Linux, I had to tweak everything. I had to tweak the theme, the icons, everything. Nowadays, you know, it's like, just give me a desktop with all the default features and mm-hmm. I'll just use it. I just want to get my work done. So I don't really care about extensions. And extensions sometimes can um, cause issues with RAM usage or if there's a memory leak in extension, that might be a problem. None of those are issues here. Um, but I just went ahead and just turned those extensions off. It comes with, as of the time we're recording this, GNOME 3.28, which is not the newest version. Uh, Manjaro is a rolling release, but they don't give you everything right away. That's one of the big differences between this and Arch. They kind of hold things back for a little bit, and then they um, give it to you you know, after some time has passed. Um, I'm not really sure if that actually helps anything. Arch, um, as of today, has 3.30 for GNOME, um, and Manjaro has 3.28. So even after installing all the updates, it's still 3.28. So they at least hold slightly behind, it yeah. looks like. And, and that might be a good for some people that might not want the latest available. Now, one thing, I've heard arguments from people that will say, well, holding packages back two weeks doesn't make it more secure. You're still going to get the same packages. However, when I used Manjaro three or four years ago, whatever time period this was, there was an issue where Arch went to a new version of XORG that broke a lot of people's computers. Manjaro didn't. And normally they, they give you updates in two weeks or, or whatever holding period they have. They held that back for a month, that new XORG version. They waited a long time to make sure that people weren't going to have the same issue that Arch Linux people were having. And that saved me because I just blindly updated. And I didn't even know that Arch Linux people were having um, mm. an issue until I tried Arch Linux on another machine and then had the issue. And that's when I noticed at that point it did pay off. It, so it, it can definitely help in some cases. So... What I did actually do is I did upgrade to GNOME 3.30, and the way I did that was I actually changed the repositories to the testing repositories, which gives you everything now rather than waiting. So in the documentation, they tell you that if you want the newer stuff, they show in the documentation what commands to run to switch to testing. So I did that, updated all the packages, rebooted. I had GNOME 3.30, and then I immediately switched it back to stable, and they let you do that. Um, Once you go to testing... You're not forced to stay there. You can actually move back to stable. Mm. You can switch the repositories back. The issue is there, though, that you will see errors when you update that will complain that the packages on your system are actually newer that are are in the mirror. And they tell you this in the documentation. Just safely ignore that because eventually, you know, you're stable. You'll catch up. No, that's not a problem. I'd be afraid that there was some package that's uh, dependent on an older or the new packages are dependent on the new version. Mm -hmm. And then you're trying to... And then later you're going to install something after you move back, and it's right. dependent on a different version of the of the libraries. And I guess that's where something like snaps or um, 
Now, or flat pack would I'm going to give a, a, a tip for the more advanced people that are listening. Um, when I run Arch, what I often do, and I didn't do in this case because it's just a testing box, is I use LVM. And when I set it up, I leave part of my disk unallocated in LVM. So LVM, the logical volume won't take up the, the entire physical volume. And what I do is I take a snapshot of LVM of the root file system. I'll make sure home is in a separate partition. So I'm not snapshotting home. I don't want that disturbed. But the actual OS root file system, I'll do a snapshot of it. And then I'll install all the Arch Linux updates and reboot. If something is mm. broke, I restore the snapshot, reboot again, and then I'll just try another time to update and we'll let them sort their issues out. And then eventually I'll try it again. So the way That's I do it way. is I'll hold on to that snapshot for a week. And if I have no issues, I finalize the snapshot and make it permanent. But if I do have issues, then I'll just restore it. But I have a week grace period where if I see an issue, then you know I'll restore it. But if not, I'll finalize it. Um, I didn't know LVM had that that option. Yeah, available. it's it's more advanced, um, but it's so fun. Like it literally like restores everything. Like nothing ever happened. So mm. you want to be careful because if you have slash home in the same partition as your OS and you do this, you're going to lose your work. Yeah. So you don't want to do that. Keep no, keep you home will, separate. You will have backed it up. Well, you would hope so, but I, I keep the. That's why I keep the root file system separate. So for me, that's the best way to use Arch because you have that snapshot to back you up. And one of the issues I run into with Arch a lot, and I really hate this about them about their project, is that there's only one kernel by default. So with Debian and Ubuntu, you update your system; it keeps the old kernel. So if you have an issue, you can just reboot, hit Escape, then select the older kernel. You can't do that in Arch because it literally replaces your only running kernel. So if you have an update to a major kernel release and it's not compatible with your computer and then you reboot, well, guess what? You're going to get a live CD to recover it because your only kernel is now hosed. Now, yeah. Manjaro pretty much runs similarly, but they do kernels very differently also. They follow different kernel trees. So there's a Linux, I think it's like Linux 418 is the package name. That gives you the 4.18 kernel. And you can install multiple. So if it gives you the 4.14 by default. You install that, you have kernel 4.14, but you can also install the Linux 4.18. You can have kernel 4.18 or however many you want. You can have multiple kernels. I went into the repository. Believe it or not, there are still packages for the same kernels I was running three or four years ago really? when I ran this back then. They're still available in the repository mm. today. They're obviously not supported and probably don't work very well. But the point is, uh, my, my tip with everybody that uses a rolling release is do not use just one kernel. With Arch Linux, you can get around this by installing the Arch LTS Linux kernel. And if you install that, you have two. You have the main Arch Linux kernel, and then you have the LTS kernel to fall back on if the mm. first one is broken. So regardless of what rolling distro you're using, never be on just one kernel. Always have at least two. And Arch Linux, they have the two only available, the main one you get. If you don't install the LTS, you're always overwriting the, the primary one. But if you install LTS it's managed separately from the main kernel, so you always have the two. But with Manjaro, if you want to follow seven different kernels, you can do that. They let mm. you do that because they keep it available in the, in the repositories. And that's one thing I think I like a lot more than um, Arch Linux. That's really important because I literally have had issues where I've updated packages and the system no longer boots. Yeah. It's not a fun experience to, um, to have. So I felt like the RAM usage in GNOME was higher than I'm used to seeing um, so I tried looking at comparing memory usage a while back, uh, and I think it was Ubuntu 17.10. I tried Ubuntu Mate, and I tried um, the standard GNOME edition. 
And what I found is that at, at idle, Ubuntu Mate was using about 300 megabytes, and um, I think it was like four or 500 megabytes for GNOME, which is pretty low, actually. Um, but here it's using 800 megabytes idle with no, um, no apps open. I tried um, disabling all the extensions I didn't need, and that didn't actually help RAM usage at all. Not even a single megabyte went down. So 800 megabytes necess isn't necessarily bad, depending on how much RAM you have. But if you have an older machine where you, already, you only have four gigs of RAM, well, guess what? Pretty much a gig is gone already, and you didn't even open a single um, application. So GNOME is not for people on older machines. I think pretty much everybody knows that. You, right. you want it on a more modern machine. So it's not a really big deal. I just wanted to mention that. So you probably want to use XFCE. I didn't look at the memory usage there, but I should have. But I imagine that it's, um, you know, kind of better there. So another thing I thought was interesting by default as there's Microsoft Office application icons installed in the application menu by default. So I'm like, it says Microsoft Office. You know, it says Microsoft Word, Excel, all, all those on there. I'm like, what is this? Mm -hmm. So I decided to click on one of them. And I, didn't, I don't have a sign-in to Microsoft or anything to try this, but it looks like a web container for Microsoft Online. So uh -huh. basically... So it has LibreOffice installed, but it so also like has... Office 365 type I think of thing? it is, yeah. Okay. I think it's actually... I didn't see if this is in the XFCE edition. Maybe I just didn't notice it. But, you know, when you hit the super key in GNOME, you see, like, all the applications right there. And right away I saw some application icons for Microsoft Office products. And I, when I clicked on one, it just looked like a web container because it asked for me to put in the Office 365 sign-in, which I, did, I don't have one, so I wasn't able to try that myself. Um, it's a web-enabled version. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and it works fine in Chrome. So that's probably why they put it in there. It's and, popular. And I wasn't sure, but it almost looked like it might have been, I want to say Epiphany, the default web browser in GNOME, might have been the one that this is built into. But I, I don't think it is because Epiphany is not installed. I just checked, and it's, it's not installed by default. So uh, Firefox is installed by default, and it's clearly not Firefox. So I'm not really sure what underlying engine is being used to handle that. Hmm. So I think that's a good thing and a bad thing. The good thing is there's a lot of people out there, especially at work, they're forced to use Office because that's what their corporate company they work for decided to go with. And if, if there's any ability to open Office documents from your 365 account, um, that's great for those people. But some people might take that to mean like, well, here's LibreOffice. We understand it's not as good, so here's Microsoft Office also, mm -hmm. which um, I'm. I my opinion is, considering I've written four books in LibreOffice, nobody can say that LibreOffice isn't as good as Microsoft Office because if you're able to publish a book in it, you know, there's an yeah. issue, or there's no issue. But, How's the database function? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but, but you know, I, I say that could be sending the wrong message, but at the same time, you know, that goes back to how I was mentioning, like, they're number one on um, DistroWatch. Why are they number one? Well, they're facilitating users of other platforms and giving those people a benefit. That actually might be part of the reason why they jump to the top because if you notice Linux Mint is usually pretty high too and they do the same thing they try to facilitate users of other platforms so it's actually probably more of a good thing for more people since there's a lot of people that work at companies with vendor lock into Microsoft so a lot of people might have benefit I removed it um, there's just one package it's, I think it's like Microsoft no ms-office-online or something like that just one package you remove and those application icons go away mm -hmm. I just didn't feel like it was something I would use I don't even have a sign-in for it, so I didn't get a chance to test it. I'm reading on here that it's called JAK. I'm not sure what JAK stands hmm. for, but uh, it's a WebKit-enabled. Um, oh, so that's what it single, was. Single-pane um, browser. Maybe J stands for Java. 
sure Maybe. Uh, no, the Jade <laughs> application kit. Yeah, so, yeah, it's ms-office-online. I have it right here in my notes. That's the package that you remove. So I mentioned already kernel 4.14 by default, but you can follow other kernels. So you can experiment with which one works better for you. And I think that's great because, you know, they default to 4.14, but when Manjaro changes their default to something else, it doesn't force their new default on you. The kernel you're booting to is what you're booting to. I don't, if I remember correctly, at least back when I used it, way back when, if they have a new default kernel, there's no, like, you have this installed now. There's no meta package that I was aware of then, or at least maybe not aware of now, that will force that on your system. Unless that's changed, I don't know. Mm. So that's pretty cool. So you won't run into an issue, or at least you have a less likely chance of running into an issue where you update, and it's, it, it won't boot on account of the kernel. might not boot on account of something else because it's a rolling distribution, but you know, at least you won't have that particular issue. So the theme is very customized here. It's um, see if I can find the name. Gnome Tweak is installed by default. And the actual theme that they're using is Adapta Nocto Maya or something like that. Icon Papyrus, or is that pronounced Papyrus? Adapta Papyrus. Maya. Papyrus, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's Mary, probably what it is. Mary's the queen of pronunciations. So yeah, if you ever great. have any questions, <laughs> I've got her. Yeah. yeah. So they customized the theme quite a bit. It looks fine. I, I feel like the font DPI is higher than I, I would expect on a 1080p screen. Not a big deal, but overall, I think the experience is really good. I like this distribution. Whether or not I'm going to stick with it, I don't know. Uh, I'm still kind of debating that because I also like Entergos, which they do the same thing, making Arch more approachable, but they're more advanced and they don't really hold packages back, so they don't really have some of the benefits either. So Mm -hmm. some of these benefits might keep me using this, so I'm just going to continue to uh, play around with this. But so far, I do like this distribution. I don't feel like it's for beginners, though, even though they kind of make it easy uh, to use for most people. I think a beginner with the mindset that they want to learn more about Linux or, or actually have a more advanced distribution because they're comfortable Googling things. So it might be okay with that kind of beginner, but it's certainly probably not a good fit for someone who just wants it to just work. Because, for example, when I saw the errors when I booted, that might put somebody off. They might say, oh, what's going on with my computer? There's all these errors. And they might not know. I had to do the research myself just to find out. It was nothing to worry about. So intermediate to advanced, I think it's a a good um, way to go. Obviously, with rolling distributions, you want to make sure you back your files up. Um, You know, definitely keep a backup. So if you're not like me and and doing um, some crazy kung fu with with LVM, (laughs) um, at least have a backup of your data, especially when you go to update your system and uh, keep it up to date. Because also another issue with rolling as well is if you don't update frequently, you fall too far behind, you could run into issues where it doesn't really update cleanly, so it's always recommended that you stay relatively up to date. So to use this, you have to be the type of person where you don't mind doing these updates. And I always think of it like, um, I I mean, weekly or biweekly is probably fine. Uh, I used to make it a, a note when I used Arch. Every Friday, the last hour of work, um, at 4 o'clock, right before I go home, was update my system. So I would update my system. And if anything broke, you know, I still have the hour to, to Google and fix it before I go home. Um, some people update every single day, which I think is too much for me because <laughs> I find if you update every single day, the problem is, you know, you discover an issue two days later, but it was because of something you installed a few days ago. It might be harder to isolate exactly what it is. 
Uh, but then again, the problem is if you update every two weeks, you got two weeks worth of packages all at once, and you kind of still don't know what it is that broke it, if it did break at all. So um, there's different things to keep in mind. I had an issue with Manjaro a long time ago, just as an example, where the screensaver was updated. X, X screensaver was updated, or was it XORG? One of the two. Anytime a screensaver would show up, it would crash XORG, and mm. I lose everything I'm working on instantaneously, and it just happened when I updated it. So yeah. it, it's not quite the stable experience you're going to get in Ubuntu. That being said, I had, didn't have any issues, but I've only been running it for you know not very long, like several days. So time will tell long-term how stable this actually is. But I think they're doing a pretty good job. The only... Um, thing that I'm worried about is how they handle security updates. It's always a big thing for me. If there's a CVE, are they responding to this quickly? Like they do hold the updates back. So if there's a security vulnerability, are they going to immediately release an update? Because Arch Linux pretty much immediately updates for security. But again, that's another thing. Only time will tell how they treat security. And that'll determine how I feel about the project because I feel that's a most one of the most important things is how fast do they respond to um, the CVEs that's a good thing to know. And if there's an issue with a package, how quickly do they get uh, updated or fixed package up, uh, uploaded for everybody? So, yeah, yeah, time will tell. But so far, um, you know, I, I remembered this fondly from back when I used it, and I still have a fond experience of it now. Cool. Yeah, it sounds pretty good. Yeah. It's it's interesting. I was looking at how they uh, said because the, there's no PPAs, so but it generally seems to be up to date. Uh, yeah. what you're saying, so mostly you didn't run any packages that you were looking for you couldn't find? I didn't, no. Um, when I updated, like, Firefox was updated, one of the first things. Um, so I didn't have to go to testing for that. That was immediately available. The latest version of Firefox was already there. And, um, yeah, I didn't run into any issues with that. Now, if I start gaming, and that's something I didn't get a chance to try, like, the, re- the reason why I switched away from Arch Linux, because it's actually probably one of my favorites, and I get this question on my YouTube channel a lot. Why aren't you using Arch Linux? Because you make all these videos about it. And my and the reason is because when I run Steam on Arch, it's not always a perfect experience. Sometimes there's issues with different libraries and some games don't work. There are ways around that. Many people have found solutions. There's also, um, I think there might be like a flat pack version of Steam or something like that that takes care of a majority of those types of issues. But I was just looking for something in a hurry, and and games seem to work well or better on Ubuntu. Another thing, too, is if you buy games on GOG.com, then that really does depend on your system's libraries because there's no Steam client in front of that. You're literally just running an SH file to run those games. And it got frustrating to me to run games on it. So um, that I might actually give that a shot and see how that works because when I'm working... Um, I want to, I mean, after I'm done working, I want to play some games, just like a lot of people do. Leisure time is pretty important. You know, for me, it was always, I want to play some games, and then I have to work. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's how it is for me now um, with my new job. You know, I I have, I'm I'm working from home. I have a TV, like, within arm's reach that has a PS4, a Nintendo Switch, Mm. uh, PS3, and a RetroPie all hooked up to it all at once. And, um, you know, you kind of have to refrain from that kind of thing. So... Yeah, I think that's kind of the thing with most of these developers when they're making games, they're obviously going to probably target Ubuntu or similar because yeah. it's it's stable. The libraries don't change very much, so it's not really a moving target. I think like the whole app image, flat pack, um, snap package um, battle that's going on right now will ultimately result in that not being an issue. 
um, probably in the near term. I, well, so. that's essentially how they solved it on phones. Right. You know what I mean? It's basically an image with all of its dependencies. That's how old versions of Android still work with a lot of the right. new packages. I mm-hmm. think that's a solution that we need. Now, before we had these solutions, a rolling release mechanism or methodology was how people solved that because you'd have people complaining, well, I'm on Ubuntu LTS, but this one application is like several versions old and I really need the new one. Then they go to rolling distributions. They get all the new stuff pretty much right away. So that pretty much removes the problem. The issue there is that your system libraries, your kernel, your drivers, your XORT, everything is also rolling. So then you're, there's just no happy medium between the two. Either your packages are really old and stable or they're really new and not so stable. So these solutions kind of come in as a way to um, help bridge that gap. Maybe you might want an LTS release, but you don't want old applications. So this is maybe a way that you'll be able to get them whenever we decide on which one of these formats is going to be the predominant one. But rolling releases is definitely another way to achieve that, too, if you want newer things. And I've heard from developers. They like rolling release because they want to develop against the latest libraries. And that's, for them, it's a a big win for them. And I've heard the opposite as well. But it's another story altogether. Right. All right. So, yeah, that was, that's Manjaro. Um, Rolling release. Thank you, Jay. Yeah, thank you, Jay. No problem. Uh, so we've come to the end of the show. Uh, I'm shocked. No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you've been listening to the Sunday Morning Linux Review. This was episode... Uh, <laughs> 285? It would be 289 if everything oh. went together well. Uh, but if we stick another show in the middle, then the number's going to be way off. So We'll figure out the number later. <laughs> yeah. So if you hear a number at the beginning and the end here, then oh, it's then likely you, Then you hear this edited. ramble. <laughs> yeah. No, I'll edit it. <laughs> All right. Uh, and this is Tony Bemis. Jay LaCroix. Mary Tomich. And Tom Lawrence. See you next time. You've been listening to the Sunday Morning Linux Review. If you would like more information about this or other shows, go to smlr.us. Feel free to send comments to show at smlr.us or give us a call at 734-258-7009. I'm John Miller. If you don't like it, you can bite my 8-bit metal ass. That's bite with a Y. <laughs>